Welcome back to the PropTech Ramble. I'm Michael Grant. Hi everyone, I am Charlotte. Yeah, so I'm Sam. I'm my own blog now. <laughs> <laughs> um, plug away. PropTech for us as Metricus is, again, it's not just new, it is legacy as well. That's what it's all about, really, apart from me rambling on like I'm doing now. So, uh, That's why it's called PropTech, right? <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another PropTech Ramble. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Piers McNaughton. Piers uh, joins us. He's the Vice President of Health and Strategy at VIEW Incorporated out of the US. Uh, he leads their research program on health and wellness and provides strategic guidance on product and product development. So, uh, Piers, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, just rather than me talk about you, you'll do it much better than I do. Could you just let everyone know who you are and, and what you're doing at View, and then we can jump into some questions because the the health and well-being uh, and productivity piece, we get asked about it all the time and where's the data and how do you look at the data? So once you've done an introduction, I've got tons of questions, so we'll, we'll, we'll work our way through those. But it's a, I think it's a very, it's a, an interesting topic given who we are at Metricus and that we own a company called Air Rated, but more and more people are actually asking about this and asking how do you prove it you know some people do it for kind of soft benefits but there are hard benefits around this so i'm going to shut up now let you introduce yourself and then we'll we'll start to crack through the questions if that's all right with you definitely um let me see if i can give a bit of a background that gets us to where i currently am working now at view um my, my background is actually in engineering uh did my undergrad in that uh, environmental engineering um, initially and then uh, found my way over into public health sort of by accident. I think it's actually a, a kind of a failing at least in the states in terms of education. You don't really learn about public health uh, anywhere in high school or college. It's not really a degree program or anything like that. Um, so it wasn't until I got to the end of my undergraduate studies that my advisor kind of exposed me to the world of public health and I was looking at graduate programs at the time, and he said, well, yes, you can keep doing engineering, but you should at least look at some of these public health programs. And for me, as someone who you know, loved engineering, solving problems, um, but also cared a lot about you know, what it meant in terms of improving the health and well-being of people, that mission of public health to deliver that benefit, not only through problem solving by engineering, but also by understanding the mechanisms that uh, drive some of these health outcomes, really attracted me. So I kind of made the jump from uh, my research in my undergraduate studies, which was mostly uh, environmental engineering, air pollution, outdoors, into this public health space. Um, and once I got to Harvard for my PhD, I migrated also from kind of more external factors, and you know, outdoor environment, uh, air quality, things like that, into the indoor environment. Um, and so that's kind of what was my, my segue into the, the built environment world. Um, and I did a lot of my research and my, you know, my PhD on, on some of those exposures within the built environment. Um, and then I, once I wrapped up my PhD, I was uh, continuing down that path, thinking if I want to stay in academia or not. And then I was very fortunate to be approached by VIEW to have a fairly academic role outside of um, academia. So here at VIEW, I lead our research program. I get to kind of think through what are some of the bigger research questions that are unanswered and then partner back with some of my old colleagues in academia to answer those questions. Um, so that's what I've been doing here, here at VIEW along with uh, thinking a bit about kind of what, what can we create from a product standpoint um, that could help solve some of the issues we've been studying. Okay, and, and that's a very interesting way to get into the built environment. I wouldn't have thought that that, that would be a track, but it's, 
you're, you're in this space and I think given what you what you do and, and, and we know you we've spoken to them a couple of times but what what you're doing how much of how much of your role is around the in, in the built environment is around occupant occupant health um, with my particular role it's it's pretty much everything <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm the kind of owner of health and wellness in the company um, and uh, there's other you know benefits of our products you know with view we make this smart window solution and that um, primarily when we first conceived this product back before I joined um, it was designed as kind of a sustainability product that was the main benefit that we could block yeah. solar heat gain coming into the building and that would save energy um, you know energy costs we would be kind of keeping that solar heat out from the building and lowering the peak load required to cool the building um, it wasn't until later that we realized that, well, at the same time, we're also removing blinds from buildings. We're giving people uninterrupted views of nature. Um, we're providing more daylight to the space. Uh, and there's tons of research out there about the benefits of those factors. Um, and so we realized that just by looking at some of our early installations, that there was this kind of really positive improvement in terms of the experience as well as the health of the people in those spaces. Cool. And so from a... It is a bit of a loaded question given what we do in Metricus and what we do in Aerated, but I'm going to ask it because for the people who listen to this who are interested in how much people's cognitive performance and their productivity are affected in, in building. So how much do how much do in indoor factors like air quality, lighting and acoustics affect productivity in the workplace? I mean, I can talk about it. And I probably know enough to be dangerous, but from an expert, how, how much does that actually affect those three factors affect people in the workplace? Yeah, it's something I've been saying for a long time. Um, my, my PhD was focused more on the air quality question, and then since coming here, it's been more on the um, the daylighting and view side of side of things. And so I'll maybe break it down to those two different buckets. Um, yeah, you know, the thing that surprised me, being in public health, we often say this that our field is kind of the field of common sense. Uh, I think intuitively we know that if you're in a space that's you know uh, that's dark or gloomy that you're not going to be performing well. Um, and I think we know that if you're in a space that's stuffy and um, that you know the air quality is off or thermal comfort isn't there, they're also not going to be productive. So I think intuitively people kind of get this. Um, my goal has been to kind of come back and to your point quantify what the differences are. Um, Within air quality, we did this study, a series of studies called the cog effect studies at Harvard. And we basically, we had people come into a space and we controlled what those air quality conditions were without them knowing. So on certain days we would inject CO2 into the office <laughs> and raise the CO2 levels. You would add in materials like dry cleaning and cleaning products and building materials that would elevate the level of VOCs, these volatile organic compounds. We would change ventilation rates. And then at the same time, we would measure their cognitive performance in the afternoon after they worked there for a full eight-hour day. And you know, each of those interventions changes how big the effect size is. Um, but we saw in the order of you know, a 50%, 100% increase in their cognitive function test scores um, just based on which of those conditions they were in against themselves, because every single person was exposed to each condition. Um, it was remarkable yeah. how closely clustered those participants were within each condition that you saw these dramatic changes within pretty much every single person in the study um, as they went from one condition to the next. So it's these kind of remarkable impacts on, on their performance. Um, of course, that's their performance on this cognitive test. We use this, this tool that 
uh, essentially assesses their ability to make strategic decisions. It kind of puts them in this, you know, SimCity-like scenario, and they have to effectively manage a, a, a town or a, um, a, a company for 90 minutes in the simulation. So it is designed to mimic our real day, real world um, productivity. Um, but of course, the way that they score it uh, is is a function, is kind of a, a parity system. So what we did is we took those scores and we looked at them against normalized scores of people who have taken this test in the past. And we saw that when you take those that 50%, 100% increase in, in test scores, that that kind of comes across to a you know, 8% to 15% uh, percentile shift in terms of where they're falling in kind of the bell curve of people that have taken this. So that's what I think I, I, how I kind of break it down. I know it's it's complicated. I wish there was a really simple answer. You can just give a single number. But of course, it depends <laughs> on the on the exposure and it depends yeah, yeah. Um, on the way that you assess it and what you know, productivity is and cognitive functions covers a, a couple of different things. So you can't just, um, you know, have a blanket statement that covers it all. Yeah, no, I... I, I understand that, and hopefully everyone will understand that. that was a pretty simple answer, actually. But, uh, but it's it's amazing how much it affects people. And when you look at the JLL rule of the three thirty three hundred, and everyone knows that people are the most expensive resource in a building, and the most important resource, it's fundamental that you make changes to, you know, even if they're small incremental ones to help improve the lighting or the air quality within a space, because it does it. It's amazing how much of an impact it has on people. Exactly. And if you take that same rule, what it effectively means is that if you have a 1% change in productivity, that 1% change in productivity will be larger than the entire energy budget. <laughs> um, because that <laughs> yeah, that's energy right. budget is only 1% yeah. of what you pay your people. Um, so you don't need to have yeah. a massive, you don't need to have um, 8 percentile, 15 percentile change in performance. 1 percentile yeah. should be enough to cover whatever the intervention is, which is what we always say. And the same is true with, with daylight and views. Um, we've seen the same types of effect sizes in this evolved study that we did uh, subsequently um, in terms of the effect of having access to daylight and views versus being in a space that might have windows but have the windows obscured by a blind. Um, so those effect sizes are consistent between um, whether it's air quality or, or um, daylight. Um, they both kind of drive performance in similar ways. Cool. Well, I do have views and I've opened the very trendy 1980s vertical blind. <laughs> So I've got some daylight coming in as well. That's nice. <laughs> uh, out of all the research you've done, what what has surprised you the most? <clears throat> so, so as I kind of alluded to before, I, I do think that a lot of the questions we're answering are things that intuitively might already know. Um, these are kind of common yep. sense questions. I think you know one of the challenges is that in especially the real estate world, they want to have you know very quantified objective data to support their decisions. So we try to put the numbers behind it. The thing that has surprised me the most is, is not what effects we've seen, it's the size of the effect sizes that we've seen. Um, like we talked about just a minute ago, I did not expect to see such drastic improvements in cognitive scores from some of these relatively benign interventions we made. You know, we weren't, we talked about things like CO2 and ventilation. We weren't testing extreme scenarios. We were testing kind of representative scenarios of what we've seen at buildings. And then you see these massive changes in performance. Um, so these these factors that we kind of know have some effect, what we found is actually the effect size is really, really large and very consistent. That it's not just um, that you know 10% of people or 20% of people are affected by these. It's actually almost every single person that we study, you know, 90, 95% of people that have the same type of response to these factors. And and is it one more than the other? So is it 
CO2 affects people, people, for CO2 affects people more than VOCs or VOCs more, or is it just the combination that does it? Because the, I, I, I know from working in, in other buildings where CO2 is being very high, that, it, that that does make you tired, but does, does one affect people more than the other, or is it a combination? Um, you cut out for the beginning of that question. Do you mind repeating it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm on our new floor, so I've got rubbish internet. So hopefully, apologies for everyone listening to the ramble if I cut out. But the is there one element that affects people more than the other? So it, did CO2 affect people more than VOCs when the, when the levels are higher? It, or is, is it a combination? Or, or does one specifically affect people more? Um, I think the, the mechanisms might be separate for some of these things. I know, especially for um, air quality factors versus lighting factors. Um, and of course, the effect size depends on the level of exposure. Um, you can make a small change in CO2 and compared to a big change in VOCs, and the VOCs will win out in terms of the size of the effect size. We happen to choose um, effect sizes in the COG effect studies that were relatively similar in magnitude. So moving from CO2 of 500 ppm to 1500 ppm and VOCs of you know less than 100 up to 500 micrograms per meter cubed. Those two changes in, in this particular study had relatively similar effect sizes. Um, for, for both of those, kind of the way that it's affecting us is that it's, it's somewhat triggering the sympathetic nervous system, that flight or fight response um, to activate. When your body detects CO2 in the bloodstream, it's saying we need to off-gas that CO2, so it increase, increases respiration, and that's through this sympathetic response. When it comes to things like daylight and views, the, the mechanism is kind of more around um, our circadian system and the fact that our body, our, our kind of 24-hour biological clock, is entrained by its exposure to sunlight on a 24-hour basis every morning. Um, and so if you don't get that stimulus of daylight, your clock drifts, that ends up affecting your sleep quality, and then detrimentally affecting your performance the next day. Um, so it's a bit more of a long-term effect, um, and it might take a couple of days for that effect to really be pronounced. We found that in our study on the first day, the, the effect sizes were relatively small, and then by the end of the week, it's up to 80, 90% cognitive improvement. Um, when you've got that improvement in sleep and that kind of circadian alignment. Um, so mechanisms are different based on the factor. The effect sizes depend on the magnitude of the exposure, whether you're looking at a small change versus a big one. Um, but for those you know, air quality and daylight factors, um, they're in roughly the same ballpark if you look at scenarios that are representative of typical conditions. Okay, that's, that's good to know. I, I, I've always wondered if it was one more than the other, and, and you know, obviously, dark and gloomy is not a great place to be, and you're just miserable when it's dark and gloomy anyway. So, uh, have have you seen uh, an increase in the uptake of practices, uh, you know, around improving the built environment and the quality of the space for people and productivity since you've been at View? I mean, have you seen the market change? Are, are people concentrating on this more? Are they paying more attention to it? Well, when I first started this line of work, it wasn't even really, it was, a, it was a field of study in academia. It had not penetrated the private sector yet in terms of a concept. Um, healthy buildings was not in the main uh, stream. <clears throat> um, over the last couple of years, I mean, the pandemic has really awakened people's interest in this topic. Um, we see now certifications like AirRated, and in the States we have uh, Well and others that are approaching this problem. Um, so there's been a really pronounced interest in these factors now that were not the case previously. Um, and so 
now with everyone dealing with an airborne uh, disease and knowing that the environment plays a critical role, this has become a lot more of a pressing issue for people to think about. Um, and it has become a lot more of an issue for people in real estate to think about and they're being asked about these factors and how they're addressing them. So yes, I've seen that this has become a lot more of a um, mainstream issue and it has been something that I've seen a lot of innovation around with products and I've seen a lot more interest in terms of um, people on the real estate side actually selecting those products and putting them into place. And from a, a product perspective at View, given given what View does and, and your role, are they are they are they? I know I know the Windows part, but are there any other products that you can talk about that View are looking at that kind of go into the office more than just the, the facade of the office? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is in order to make our product work, we had to provide power and connectivity to every one of our windows, um, and so. As part of our product, we're already kind of shipping this uh, network solution to our buildings, um, which makes a very natural platform for us to layer on new types of technologies that can um, support the, the kind of the smartness or the healthiness of the building. Um, some of the things that we've started developing um, to, to layer onto that are around environmental sensing. So can you measure oh, cool. air quality, lighting, acoustics, thermal comfort? Um, measuring those is the starting point to figure out how to act upon them. Um, so we're, we're very excited about that and, and the ability to help people make educated decisions based on uh, the real-time performance of their space. Um, we're able to, on the core or on the perimeter of the building, on the windows itself, we're able to add displays, turn our, our windows into TVs. <laughs> so that's a really cool application um, that oh, we're that's just going to, to ship out um, to make a, smart, a place really smart and uh, collaborative. Um, and then the last one is kind of more on the connectivity side, being able to use that um, perimeter network to help amplify signals from the outdoors indoors. Um, obviously, we've had the scenario where you walk into a, a building and your 5G service disappears, um, especially with that being a, a shorter wavelength, higher intensity type of frequency. It doesn't penetrate as much in the building. So amplifying those at the perimeter into the core is another area that we're exploring. Cool. I think the uh, adding the environmental sensor piece is very smart. I, I didn't know you guys were doing that, but that's 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 quite cool. And if you're going to buy a window, you may as well buy a sensor that can connect straight into it and have the data there. So that's quite cool. Then you just need a platform. Like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I saw you posted an, uh, uh, some research that talks about burnout. So how does the how does the built environment contribute to, to, to burnout? There's a lot of talk about burnout, but someone with your skill set and knowledge and PhD in air quality and environment, what, what, how, does, how does the built environment contribute to, to the burnout in, in, in the research that you've published? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, certainly we should acknowledge up front that there are a lot of factors that contribute to burnout outside of, of space. <clears throat> and so there is uh, just the kind of stresses of, of the workplace and everything else that feeds into that. When it comes to um, the environment, I think a, a great concept that I think helps me understand this is biophilia um, or biophilic design, which is our innate connection to nature. Uh, because we're an outdoor species, when we come indoors and deprive ourselves of that access, um, it does make us feel differently. We um, are kind of disconnected from nature and that kind of affects the way that our um, psychology and physiology performs. Um, and so I do think that by giving people that access to, to views, to nature, that helps people kind of bring their stress level down you know, it's called stress recovery theory. In fact, <laughs> um, having that exposure in nature can bring your stress down, relax you, and make you feel better when you're working in a space. And it can help 
cut some of the, the effects of burnout in terms of um, those kind of high stress environments that can make you have those burnout effects. Okay, cool. So I'm sitting in our new floor. We've just taken a new floor. So I have to buy lots of plants in this floor because we've got four or five upstairs. So I need to make sure I put some in here as well, then, is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of different ways to do it. You can bring the outdoors in. You can um, give yourself access to the outdoors through views, um, or you can kind of do analogs. So you can have the, the carpets that, or the hardwood surfaces that kind of mimic those those natural materials. So there's a lot of ways to go about it. There's this whole concept of biophilic design, which is how do you best enable those types of spaces. Um, but certainly putting those into practice are good ways to help kind of make this place, the space less stressful for occupants. Cool. Well, we don't have, we do have wooden tables, but they're laminated white ones. So then unless <laughs> I stick wood on top of them, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I think plants and things and, and the team are actually looking at what they do to make this a very cool space. And, and like you said, plants are a big part of that, but we'll, we'll figure out, I'll speak to them after this, what, what else we can, we can throw in. You might, uh, you might get a call from the team getting there, trying to, <laughs> trying to design the floor here. So happy to help. <laughs> happy to lend my free consulting services. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, Piers, thank you very much. I, I, I always end with some quick fire questions, so I, I'm going to do the same. I'm not going to stop. So, uh, I've got some quick fire questions for you. So what, what was your first ever job? My first job, I guess, would be camp counselor. If you exclude some of the uh, woodworking chores I did when I was younger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, camp counselor. Where, whereabouts? What, what type of camp? <clears throat> um, in the Adirondacks in upstate New York, which is actually where I'm going in just a week. My family loves to go hiking there. And so I go back once or twice a year, do some hikes. And my camp was, was right there. Oh, nice. Uh, when and where are you most productive? Um, it's a good question. I think it depends. Again, productivity we talked about is it's a couple different uh, elements of it. When I'm trying to be focused, I like being actually here at home. I have this great office upstairs um, where I can see out onto the street with um, you know these nice birch trees in the front yard, and it's just a relaxing, nice place. Um, when I'm trying to be collaborative, I love being with my coworkers in the office, um, and I love being creative with them. So it, it depends on what I'm trying to do, but I think those two spaces do a good job for me. Cool. And w what's your favorite book? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I have to admit that I'm a huge Lord of the, Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and I think part of that is because uh, the books themselves are really talking about um, industrialization at the time. And um, there are a lot of themes about uh, how the different um, you know creatures in that novel uh, a lot of them were kind of destroying nature and it was just kind of this crusade to overcome those evil powers that were were doing that and so there's this whole narrative around industrialization with this within that and i think it, it struck a chord with me even when i was really young reading them for the first time um, but now i'm a huge i'm a huge lord of the rings nerd um, and so i i love those books cool they are very good it's one of my favorite, one of my father's favorite uh, set of books as well. Uh, when you're not walk, when you're not walking, when you're not working, how do you spend your time? I gather part of it is hiking, but what else do you like to do? Yeah, so hiking is a big one. Um, basically, anything that takes me outside. So hiking is one good avenue. I, I love playing ultimate frisbee. So um, getting outside and running around with friends, um, a ton of fun. Um, I'd say that yeah, those types of activities, getting outdoors, getting into nature, seeing um, wilderness, are all just top of mind for me. 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I, I don't like being indoors. I know we spend 90% of our time indoors these days, but you know, eventually over time, I'm going to spend less time in an office and more time outdoors. I love, I love outdoors and sports. So I know the answer to this, but it's on my list. Hybrid working, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. It'd be simpler <laughs> if the answer was no, but uh, I think it's hard to, hard to say that. I already mentioned uh, just in the last question yeah. that, um, it's, you know, I feel off, more yeah. productive depending on what I'm trying to do in two different spaces. So I think that there are different types of work modes that enable uh, different types of productivity. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to remove that question and find a new one because everyone, everyone is the answer is yes. So it, I, I'll, I'll come up with a new one. Uh, I guess I got the right answer we, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, everyone says the same thing. I'm, I'm yet to have someone say no, but uh, you know that, that could be someone from a big organization who's told everyone they have to go back to work every day, but they generally won't be on the podcast. But uh, Knowing, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, we talked about in the very beginning how um, I didn't even know this world of public health existed. Um, so I would have liked to have known that earlier and been able to get into it earlier. I'm glad I got there eventually. Um, I think another one is uh, just to kind of enjoy the moment. I think a lot of times it's always, uh, you can get very bogged down and stressed about thinking about you know five years, 10 years ahead. And um, I think just in general, appreciating the moment, appreciating what you have at the moment um, is a great way to spend life. And so I, I try to practice that more now. I know I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm sure if you ask me this question again in 20 years, I'll probably give myself the same answer. Um, but I think that that's, <laughs> that's something that <laughs> I wish I could have told my younger self. Yeah, I, I, I think actually that's probably the best answer to that question that, that we've had. And I agree with that. You know, I have a wife and young family and you you do need to enjoy the moments that you have rather than worrying about where you've been and where you're going to go. Sometimes it's just, you know, life, life's good, right? And you've got a loving family and you, you've got, you know, your health, your family's got their health, you've got money so you, you, you can take care of your family and money's not the be all and end all. But yeah, I, th I think that, that's a great answer. I think that's probably the best answer we've had actually. And yeah, I, I would agree 100%. Cool. Awesome. Piers, thank you very much. Thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, I will. Uh, I, there is a young lady who will definitely want to speak to you called Francesca Brady, the CEO of, of Aerated. So if you don't mind, I will loop the two of you together after this and, and get you in touch because she will have more questions than you can poke a stick at to, to ask if that's okay. I'd love to speak with her. I know that um, they reached out to me for their Aerated report. And so I um, contributed to that, but I didn't have a chance to talk to Francesca directly. So I really appreciate that. Okay, yeah, I'll do that straight after this. Perfect. Piers, thanks very much for coming on. Great to speak to you and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks for having me.